Welcome. You're tuned into the Two Kings podcast with your hosts Brian Weeks and Adam Ricker. You may now enter the kingdom. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Two Kings Podcast. My name is Brian Weeks, the Bald Beardy Bear, and I am here with my co-host, the Big Ricker himself, Adam Ricker. Big Ricker, the biggest of Rickers. What's up, everybody? Good morning. So, today's podcast is a little different from our usual format. Uh, Recently, (coughs) there has been a movement in the world of professional wrestling exposing people and promotions for racism, sexism, homophobia, and sexual assault. In social media, these whistleblowers are using the hashtag speaking out to tell their stories. This week, the Two Kings podcast is devoting our airtime to an important conversation with a person both on the front lines and behind the scenes in professional wrestling here in northern New England, the artist formerly known as Aftershock Adam Ricker. I'd like to take a moment to introduce you, Adam, for the listeners that may not know your background. Uh, you are a four-time Triple Crown champion for the now-closed promotion IWE based out of Bangor, Maine. Uh, during your time with IWE, you had many different roles within the promotion, not just as talent. You also booked matches, you were responsible for putting together the events, creating storyline, and also I heard some sort of a rumor you may also have been putting together the ring from time to time. Um, but that's very important to any promotion. We've spoken about this topic a little bit in our previous podcast and a lot about it in our personal lives, um, but I would like to start out this interview by asking how you got your start with the IWE. <clears throat> um, when I was 14 or about 14, 15 years old, uh, my pal, <clears throat> excuse me, oh, my pal Luke Robinson and I, um, along with like some of his friends, uh, we were putting on little wrestling shows in his basement on mattresses. We built, like, cardboard sets. Um, and Luke, and Luke, one of the most creative people I've ever met. Like, I'd go down there, and he literally transformed it into something cool-looking. Like, different pieces hanging from the ceiling and up around the stairwell that looked like an entryway. And um, he had shown these videos to one of his uncle's employees at the gym that he owned, then that happened to be WWE Hall of Famer Tony Atlas. Uh, Tony said he, you know, it's dangerous to do what we're doing, but if we were willing to give him some time and get in a ring with him, he'd be happy to train us. So myself, Luke, uh, Casey Duncan, that's a name some people listen to this may remember, um, all start, all got, you know, started training with him. I worked some Atlas Championship wrestling shows. Um, I, deb- I my in ring debut was October of two thousand four in Aubra, uh, Lewiston, I think. <clears throat> yeah, it was Lewiston Leavers Daycare. They had like a little gymnasium in the back. Tony Atlas shot a five episode, five episodes of Atlas Championship wrestling. So five shows, three matches each, and so. Yeah, like, like 15 matches or whatever. I need to make a confession. I have been furiously searching the YouTubes and the internets to try and find some of the footage from that. and it, I don't think it's out there, to be honest. I haven't, been, I haven't seen it in years. On my MySpace page, and yes, that's a throwback. Um, on my MySpace page, the 
uh, I, there's a video that Luke had edited together of uh, Luke Robinson versus Adam Ricker in Lewiston uh, at the Ramada. They used to do shows in the ballroom. Okay. And, it, like, even back then, like, I was like, wow, like, I had a lot of potential um, back then out, out of the gate, right? <laughs> and I saw the eye roll, but no, like, out of the gate, uh, I was doing pretty well considering, like, my very limited time being trained. It's just... I've always believed some people naturally pick professional wrestling up, and some people just can't. Like, the heart's there, but it's like, I can't drive a stick, I can't drive a stick shift. I know how to drive a stick shift, but I cannot make my body do the motions correctly to not blow out the clutch. (laughs) Not to to veer too slightly off topic, but I also have an inability to drive a stick shift. And for me, it's because this is basically... A gimp and doesn't do anything. So I have find it very difficult to be doing shifting with the. If they would put, like in I, you and I would kill it in the UK driving stick. <laughs> I, I, it might be because we're left-handed. Yeah. So, but anyway, I, I'm sorry. I just. That I think that's probably why. Yeah. Um. um so, uh, we were working for Tony Atlas, and there came a point where we met we met some guys at those tapings. Um. Named Keith Dinsmore, Ryan Jordan. Um, oh, Facebook. Like, how do I know those names? Yeah. <laughs> um, you've met Ryan anyway. We hung in out Portland. At the house. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you haven't you haven't Super got to meet. Chill guy, yeah. yeah, you haven't got to meet Keith yet. Uh, Ryan's good people. Um, we met uh, Luke and made a connection with them because they were running their own um, wrestling promotion in in their yard, and. I know instantly that gets a negative connotation about it, but we went, all all three of us, me, Casey, and Luke, uh, we all went together, I'd say for like a solid month, month and a half, and then Tony kind of caught wind of what we were doing, and he's like, listen, you either stop doing that dangerous backyard stuff and train here, or... You know, go do that. You know, go do that, but you won't be working on my shows. And I, the way I remember it going down, and I, and please, uh, like, if if I'm wrong out there, and like Luke's listening, I, I remember Luke telling me that that was the decision, and I just didn't like that ultimatum of you have to do this or that. And I had started forming friendships with these guys in Portland. Uh, PPW is what it was called, Portland Professional Wrestling. Um, took place on Hunter Street, right off of Congress. Um, we had a record. I think we brought we brought a hundred and eight people one time into the yard, wow. and it wasn't like it wasn't a paid show or anything. You just show up Monday at five o'clock, and we we taped it. It was more for us, and people came and watched it. Um, and I'm trying to get. Trying to get a hundred people anywhere at five o'clock in the afternoon on a Monday in Portland, Maine. Yeah, congratulations! <laughs> it was it was surprising. I mean, people rolled in. Mm-hmm. Of course, we started usually started right on time. That's a very rare thing yeah. <laughs> in wrestling. At least Portland where I came time. from, anyway. On Portland time. Though. Yeah. So, uh, we did. I did that for a few few years. I made lifelong friendships with these people. Um, and, like, I, to this day, we're all, st- you know, most of us are still friends. We're still connected. I have a tighter circle 
of people from that promotion that I hang with, and I, you know, but I'm still friends with pretty much everybody that's participated in it. And I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. But what ended up happening is, um, Sonny Roselli, the infamous Sonny, mm-hmm. angry at anybody who draws any kind of numbers, free, paid, or not, um, called the state athletic commissioner on us. And he showed up one Monday, our last year, and was like, I'll, it, it, I'll let it go this week, but next week you're not wrestling unless each of the wrestlers coughed up. <clears throat> it was either 60 or 80. I don't remember the exact. Six, between 60 and 80 bucks for a wrestling license. Keith, who was the owner, had to buy a promoter's license. And then our referees had to buy referees' licenses. So... Basically, this guy showed up, the athletic commissioner showed up every Monday at like 4.30, took the names down of everybody we were going to use on the show, cross-checked it if they had a paid license or not, and he just collected all this cash off of us, and who knows what, he handed us licenses, or no, he filled out the information, we all got our licenses in the mail. I actually have one in one of my memory boxes. No, um... And of course, hindsight is always going to be twenty twenty. But it, it, it. Um, I I wonder how the narrative might have changed if you had told your hundred people that you had gotten to show up that day. Um, hey guys, this is what's happening. Um, next week we're going to do a benefit show with a suggested five dollar donor. Like and have if you really enjoy this, help us offset this new thing that we just have to pay for out of nowhere and I, I'm just curious what maybe you may have de- gotten a more devoted following mm-hmm. at the, for, for something like that but there, that's just the way that my mind works no I, I and I hear that like I, we we brainstormed we came up with many different ideas um, but the concept of PBW had always been that it was supposed to be just fun family friendly right. show um a lot of people. A lot of the wrestlers had kids. Um, there were there was a group of teenagers that um, the Sycamore kids. I think there was called, I don't remember Sagamore. I don't remember the name. I think it's Sagamore. The Sagamore Village kids. Um, they all would come to the show. They were like our. They were this group of teenagers. They were awesome. Real loud, um, nice. enthusiastic. Made it fun. We had fun there. Right. And uh, one of my good friends, Joe McBrady, like suffered a very serious injury. Um, being in there with someone who didn't know what they were doing, and like so, you learn like that. That was the risk, right? And that's always the risk of being in a show, in a show like that. Sure, uh, everyone was given a chance because, and we tried to train people the best we could. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't my call on anything, like really. I mean, I tried to help the best I could, um, but they. It, it was a good time, and that last year, everything kind of fizzled out. We lost that; they lost the house that we, reco- um, that we filmed at. They just things things stopped. So I jumped on board with a few of the guys, uh, Steve, Keith, uh, and drove up to IWE. And I had met; I had known some of these guys, some of the older guys. Um, from my time at Atlas Championship Wrestling, I yep. met them. Um, they knew who I was, but I, I I got in there and I trained with Eric Johnson and um 
I remember my first day at IWE. I I went to the training class. Um, I did everything that he he asked me to do to prove to him that I knew how to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so he used me on his very first show in the King of New England Battle Royal, mm-hmm. and uh, I ended up being runner up to one of the best wrestlers that ever came out of this state, uh, Cameron Matthews. I feel like I I've heard that name. Yes, uh, he, he's he. I've known him for years. Uh, he has a love hate relationship with the business, um, mm-hmm. but I mean everyone who's been in the business always is going to have have it there. He's got a successful career in his own. Um, he's a good guy. He still shows up to the shows occasionally. He's run a show a couple years ago actually, right in Fairfield. That was really good. Mm-hmm. So um, it was great to see him around. Um, but I, I placed runner up to him, and that to me was special because I knew who I knew who Cameron Matthews was. Like that was pretty. He was a star, and I'm just it was a nobody in my backyard wrestling outfit. Um, but from there I got my gear and I started going regularly, catching rides up with uh, referee Chris Berry and uh, one of the managers from the area, and. It kind of just, it snowballed from there. I had a pretty good first year. Um, I was pretty arrogant, though. Like, I remember just think, I just remember out the gate feeling like I should have had more. Um, But I had no idea that I wasn't anywhere near ready for what I actually wanted to accomplish. Um, So, I think it was after a while, I just got too big for my britches and uh, blew up at, a couple of the veterans, uh, Sonny and Larry Huntley, and basically <laughs> um, lost a few years because of that. I took time off. There was major heat there. They were, like, two of the biggest stars in the state. Like, they were at every show I could have possibly went to, so I was nowhere in sight for a few years. Um, and I came back for a short run. Um, I want to say in 2014, I was there for a few shows, and uh, at that point, I had taken more time off because uh, my ex, at the, you know, who I was dating at the time, uh, mm-hmm. Daniel, uh, had cheated on me. And in that essence, I couldn't, I couldn't get my brain to accept going two and a half hours north for wrestling and him knowing that, oh, Adam's legit going to be gone so far away for X amount of time that you do it, you know, I just couldn't I couldn't do it, and that was my own fault so, uh, after that all ended um, my buddy Nicholas got me back into it mm-hmm. so 2000, yeah, the beginning of 2015, no, it was December 2014, I took Eric's place at a show in South Portland at Thatcher's, cause he was like, on, he was on his deathbed with the pneumonia, oh, but like he still had to put this show on. This is, you know, this is his income, and I understand that. And he doesn't want to let the guys down, and he's got the show booked, and that's just the type of guy Eric was. He'd always try to find a way to make the show work, right? Um, and so I stepped in there and I squashed some kid, like I was like three times this kid's size, and I just slapped him around for a second. And then I got invited to the anniversary show, uh, where I stepped in the ring with my good friend John Primer, um, and that kind of lit that spark for me, where things kind of snowballed. I had a great series of matches with Primer, 
I became the Twin Cities champion like five months back in. Nice. Uh, Primer and I really had a great feud. That's what helped me step up my game. Then I just started um, my trajectory towards the title. Uh, Eric, I, uh, Eric and I faced off in the cage, and I won the uh, MEW championship from him and unified it with the Twin Cities title. Um, and then I went on to have an awesome learning experience and have a series of matches with Alexander Lee. Um, I was able to do things and try things that I've never been able to try before because I trust him. Uh, I got German suplexed off the second rope by him. Like it was, Jesus. and everyone's like, "Why are you doing that?" I'm like, "Cause I want to be someone that I want to try to step up." Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a lot of fun. Our last match went about half an hour, just beating the shit out of each other. Um, and I'm thankful for it every day because after that, uh, he took some time off. So I went on to different opponents, but I took that lesson with me and I started beating everyone's ass, mm-hmm. you know, in, in his honor, essentially. Right. Um, and it just, it kind of roller coastered. you know, I had a good run. I got a, I've been, I was the champion in the focus of the championship for a year and a half, two years, um, I think I, I held it up until uh, Alexander Lee came back uh, to IWE alongside the Main State Posse, um, which was awesome to have them all back at IWE. Um, but it was really at that time everything started going to shit. Um, and this is where, like, this was just after a series of events that didn't really make sense in the first place. Like I was, I was the champion, and then Eric cashed in an opportunity to take it from me, and he became the champion. And then we had a, I had my rematch and lost in a lumberjack match, which somehow became a fatal four-way match with Bomb and Big Moxie. So now we've got four guys fighting for the title instead of Eric and I trying to settle this. Um, I walked out of the Fatal 4-Way with my third IWE championship, only to find out that instead of giving a rematch to Eric Johnson, I was going to be given a rematch. I was going to be given a title shot to John the Bomb, the owner of the company. Uh-huh. And that made no sense because mm-hmm. Eric had just lost the title. We, right. would, we would come to find out at this point that Sonny and Bomb, the owners of IWE, were pushing Eric out. Eric sold them the company. <clears throat> they had a deal. There's there's heat there between them. Some, like, I don't know how far it goes back. Right. I don't know how. I don't know all the juicy details on that. I never really dug in. Wasn't my business. I I didn't care. Like mm-hmm. I cared what they were doing to Eric. I didn't care about the backstory. I just knew what they were doing to Eric was shitty. Right. So eventually they got rid of. They came up and said, "We got nothing for you." And they put him in a story where he had to start from the bottom and fight these rookies. And he was fighting all the shit-tastic rookies that were coming at us from, you know, the middle, like, from the middle of the state. And it, and then eventually just he, he had bigger and better things. He was doing DJing gigs at the time, making way more money than wrestling. So he backed out. He realized what was going on and kind of fed into it. He, he was done. He retired. He was gone. And that was because they pushed him out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he started getting work again at the at Let's Wrestle, which mm-hmm. is uh, 20 minutes north of where IWE ran. Uh, Let's Wrestle was born 
out of the chaos of what IWE was becoming and what IWE is going to do to wrestling in the state, essentially. So, um, but yeah, that's I know I'm I'm going on, but no, no, this yeah, is but exactly. Like, but that's why we are here. Yeah, uh, but basically, after I mean, there's specifics to the shitstorm, of course, but the ultimate end was. I, I literally just couldn't take it anymore. I had just won the uh, story-wise. We had our big anniversary event. Um, we had Brian Malonis on the show. Him and Eric had a pretty good big guy match. Um, Malonis said my name on the mic. I marked out a little bit, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> as if I employed him to take care of Eric. I was like, yes! Nice. The kingpin. <laughs> um, and then I had, a, I had fun uh, working in the ring with Angel Cross. Uh, he took me to task. Though. Those hands are quick, and they are they are fierce. He got me right in the eye, like right in the beginning when he jumped me. Like I felt something sharp just poke me right in the eyeball, and it was I just couldn't see it, it stung. It was watering. I couldn't see out of it, and it just it threw me off right in the beginning of the match. Um, but at, having still walked out the champion that night, I thought that's I thought that was going to be the turnaround point because now we had the big. The big twist at the anniversary event. Mm -hmm. And this is, it's going to be a cakewalk from here writing story because I know everyone doesn't think I should have this belt. Um, and not even, I want to say, not even two weeks post show, I'm dealing with Sonny in my DMs talking shit about all these other guys' wrestling shows that are coming up. Um, Matt and Muscle was getting ready to run a show. Uh, Big Raph was getting ready to run a show. So we're talking right now. When you said we, you, you're referencing the anniversary show, yeah. we're actually talking about the January 4th, 2020 match, yeah, correct? Yeah, January 4th, so, 2020. So the yeah. IWE's last anniversary show. Yeah, the last anniversary okay. show So this IWE. is all extremely recent. This is this is beginning hot to you. Yeah, this is just like pre-epidemic. Okay. Um. The timing was actually very weird. There would be one. There would be one more show. <laughs> well, yeah, there there was only one more. No, no, two. No, there was only one more show after the anniversary show, and I didn't even make it to that. No, that I was did. the one that I attended. That was the one you attended. Okay, so we did make it a month after the anniversary show. Um, we had that tag match, and that was because the next one was to be the following Saturday after lockdown. Yes. And then lockdown came, the shows got canceled. It was going to be a big fatal four-way. Limits, Ricker, Cross, and Johnson for the title. And, you know, I not even two weeks into that, I couldn't with Sonny anymore. I couldn't with Bomb anymore. Um, and by the, magic of, yeah. <laughs> uh, by the magic of Photoshop, you were instantly replaced. I was instantly replaced with Luke Robinson, who I got into this business with. Who ended up walking out of the Fatal Four Way with the IWE title, and now IWE's closed. So if I had just gone to that last show, I'd have been the last champion. But they put they put the belt on. They worked out a good deal with Luke, um, and it's no shot at Luke. I love Luke to death, so no shade at all towards him. But uh, more them because I feel like it was a per like very personal right. choice of a replacement. Yeah. Is what I felt like. And I'm like, and then to put the belt on him, I'm like, so you're going to insult these three guys who have been here busting their ass for you. Yeah. And then insult me by replacing him, yeah. replacing me with Luke. So. 
All right. Well, we, we will we will have much more tea to spill on that in just a little bit. Um, <clears throat> I want to say one thing from earlier in your conversation, and then um, move in a little direction, different direction. So, um, I was definitely understood some of the uh, what you had said earlier about the bad rap. I guess that uh, that backyard wrestling has. Um, and my thought on that is, well, yeah, it does. I'm sure it does have a bad rap, but like, not everyone has on their palatial estate the Joan Collins Memorial Auditorium for people to come and hang out in. <laughs> so, what what else are you going to do? Like, not everybody can get into the Cumberland County Civic Center, you know. For them, for 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 guys like Sonny, it's all about making money, right? And and. <laughs> He's he's a hell of a car salesman. There's a there's a reason I don't talk to Sonny a lot of the time mm-hmm. because I've tried to leave IWE several times for Sonny to come around and give me the old car salesman. Hey buddy, what can we do? Hey, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and that and I'm, we were I thought we were friends. What's going on? Oh, you want five more bucks in your pay here? Uh, yeah. You can do what you want. Uh, fuck bomb. That's all he would ever say. Fuck bomb. I'm like that's your business partner, yo. Yeah. Towards the end, the last few months of that. Before, like, and I'll get back to the original question. Side, like, this is sidebar. Um, Sonny was showing up at shows to watch the guys still building the ring at 6.30 because it wasn't coming together right and it was broken. Sonny's walked in the door, looked in the gym in Fairfield, and not even two minutes later come up to me and said, Oh, see ya. I'm like, you're leaving already? He goes, yep, tonight was a test to see if Bomb would fuck up. And, eh, just as I figured, see you later. I'm like, so you're you're okay being owner of this company and walk out the door while your partner's drowning and needs some help out there, and you're just like, eh, fuck it. Mm. And I and I don't and part of me doesn't blame Sonny because Sonny wasn't even involved in the purchase of IWE initially. John the Bomb wanted IWE um to put, make himself champion. He had a payment set up with Eric. He couldn't pay the, his wife paid the first payment for him. Sonny paid the second payment for him, and then it just went from there. Bomb had no business buying this wrestling company. Mm-hmm. Um, but the but like for guys like Sonny, what he did is these kids who were wrestling in a backyard um, in Waterville. So this is how, this is where I was kind of going with it. When they first bought IWE, they were going to open a training school, and I'm using quotes. I realize you can't see me. Training school. Uh, right in Cityside, and they took on some trainees who had incredible potential, but they weren't learning anything correctly because Sonny and Bomb don't know anything but the old school way of wrestling. And I'm not saying the old school way of wrestling is bad, but you're working with kids who have seen wrestling for the first time in a new generation. Right. They they didn't grow up watching the 80s and 90s stuff that we that the older guys. Right. No, and and perform as. This is all post attitude era. Yeah, this was like lucha libre, mm-hmm. high spot. You know, go 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 go. And I'm not taking a shot at it. That's just what it's become. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I think there's a nice mixture of it out there. Um, but they just wanted money from these kids. Yeah. They didn't care what they were learning, what they weren't learning. So these guys all eventually fell under the branch of Matt and Muscle. Mm-hmm. Where they were being trained, um, and it's no tea and no shade at the people training there, but these kids were getting uh, what they call wrestling stretched. Um, they messed up. They got beat essentially or berated, and 
I've had many private conversations with these kids that, that are like, I don't want to do this anymore. All I do is get yelled at. And I watch these kids not get better because they're more afraid of fucking up. Right. Than they are of making things look good. Like, mm-hmm. they, like it's like me. I, I can do what you asked me to do in the ring while it's happening in context. But if you tell me, oh, take a front bump. I stand there a minute like, how, how the fuck do I do... But it, like in the concept of wrestling, I turn around and it needs to happen. It happens. Right. It's a mus- It's muscle memory for me now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can't perform it on command. These kids go through go through these wrestling matches because all they're learning is moves, and all they're learning they're not learning that you're you're in the performance. Like I I do it all the time. I'll hit you know I'll hit the little guy. I'll throw the little guy and give him the big roar and look at someone in the audience like that's right. I threw his little ass. Like, you know, you have to connect with the people watching you or you're just going to be a robot in there. I have a parallel that you're going to like. Oh. <clears throat> okay. So, these kids coming up today, it's like video games. These kids coming up today, they already know the Konami cheat code of the ABB, blah, 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 blah. And that's what they're doing. They are performing a cheat code because they've memorized it. Mm-hmm. You grew up in the days of Atari and NES where you had to, like, kind of DIY and you had to learn and you had to do... Because it was the, the, the limits of the game, mm-hmm. and then you you had to learn the mechanics of the game, where these kids are just learning cheat codes. I'm I'm. Perf- what do you think of that? I, it's perfect, actually, because I'm I find I'm proficient in detecting patterns. I'm very good at strategizing. Um, I was just talking about this the other day with somebody about the my, like my military qualifications. Mm-hmm. I did ROTC in high school. I took the ASVAP and nailed that motherfucker. Like. I could have did whatever I wanted to in the military, and I just, it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And mad respect to our military and everybody that fights to protect us, it just was not for me. Mm-hmm. That's not what I wanted to do. Right. And like I said, it's no, it, it wasn't, it just wasn't for me. And so, and I feel guilty saying it, because I just, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, but back then, you didn't have, you didn't always have Konami cheat codes and auto saves and yeah. a million chances to accomplish your goal. You were playing Mario three, and you fought you fought your way to World eight, and you run out of lives. That's it. You start all the way over, back at one. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's that's what I'm used to because I did. You know what I mean? When you're playing those games, you're like the only way to get past this is, is to detect the pattern. Like Mega Man, the like things would pop up, and it would always have. And you, yeah. I, I would sit there and study it. And then in my head, be like, okay, when this happens, then I need to go right here, then right here, and boom, and it's done. Yeah. Like the documentary I showed you of the guy on the game show mm-hmm. on uh, uh, they got the pressure, pressure lock. lock. Yeah, it's you gotta you gotta memorize, memorize all that. Mm-hmm. But um, these younger kids who are learning, some of them and some of them get it. Some of them absolutely do understand understand it. But a lot of these kids are just going through the motions, and you can tell there's a fear. That they they're in there with someone they respect, they mess up because at their training class they're getting beat. Mm-hmm. So literally, that's that's what the that's what the first problem with it. The other problem with backyard wrestling um, is you're working. No matter how good you think that some things might look, mm-hmm. um, I've looked at some of my stuff from PPW. Looked back and be like, oh, that was such, that was so fire. And some stuff was good. Uh, there's, I have something on my face. I have a match with my buddy Wes, um, that I'm proud of on Facebook because we were chain wrestling. You watch it and it's being done correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, the danger part comes from when you just let anybody up in there. Right. Um. And 
one of our one of my vets got grievously injured by somebody who had no business being in the ring. Uh, he went and you know, warning for anyone that's got sensitive ears about injury. Um, the my friend was getting ready to receive the spine buster, mm-hmm. and the other guy decided part way to change it up to something else. So basically, my uh, my buddy Joe's ankle never like his foot never left the ground, but the rest of him like twisted all the way. Like oh. his foot literally twisted 180 degrees and then oh. back again. Oh God! And they oh. brought they brought him out back and they called me over because for some reason I was ne- just naturally being a locker room leader at that point and um they took his shoe off and his foot just dangled there and it was the gross <laughs> yeah so that that's the, that's the result you see kids jumping off their roofs through flaming tables cuz they're trying to emulate these guys who know what they're doing mm-hmm. like they, i mean it's no secret like when you get trained in wrestling you don't you get trained to protect yourself you develop your fighting style but the before you're learning moves and stuff, you're learning how to protect yourself. Uh, and that's the thing I can say about Eric Johnson's training that I've always loved is he conditioned us before we even did anything wrestling related. We stretched for 10 minutes. We did neck workouts to make our neck stronger. We did squats to make our legs stronger. We did all that stuff, and then we trained. Mm-hmm. And even then, it was basic stuff. And then he didn't move us past that until we got that. Mm-hmm. But everyone wants to rush to, hey, how can I do a, a Canadian, I forget what it, the hell it's called. <laughs> I'm going to get taken to task for it, too. The pile the pile driver that everyone keeps doing, the flippy one. Uh, Canadian Destroyer, that's what it's called. Because I was going to start calling it, like, the Poutine Special. The Poutine Special, dip, dip. Um... So with backyard wrestling, you know, you're, you're working with guys, they don't actually know what they're doing, and they're hurting each other. Right. So you have people who may be potentially talented getting permanently injured off some shit, their back's fucked up at 19, mm. and I was there, and I get that, I understand um, where my vets were coming from seeing something like PPW exist. It wasn't about the fans, it was about these kids are making a mockery of what we do professionally. Right. Um, and I know the guys from PPW don't feel that way. I have my own views on it that don't really necessarily conflict with either side. Mm-hmm. Um, but backyard's just, it's not safe. Right. So, when did you first experience, <clears throat> excuse me, when did you first experience being treated differently by other wrestlers on the basis of race or sexuality? I think a thing that always ha- ends up happening is... Um, I, jo- I literally, I joke about everything. I'm sarcastic about everything. Um, that's just my personality. I, I just, I love to laugh. I, no one laughs at my jokes like me. Um, that is an absolutely true story. And I think, because, like, guys like Tony Atlas made, like, nothing bad against Tony. Tony will, you know, walk in a room and he'll be like, oh, that guy called me black. You know, that, like, and, that, and that's the kind of thing Tony would do. And it was funny and it was comfortable to joke about race. Um... That just it was just a thing, and I think with racial jokes because of the group of friends I had in high school, I've always just let them go. Like mm-hmm. being called the N word never used to bother me because I'm like I'm I'm not whatever that you know whatever mm-hmm. you mean by that. Uh, I think my the biggest thing for me was always worrying about 
worrying about how people would perceive my sexuality versus my race. Okay. Um, so I want to I want to say like 2012. Um, I had come out to everybody like on Facebook, big status. Um, I was going through some uh, issues with my dad, and I was like, wait a minute. I'm like, I'm not afraid to be who I am now. Mm-hmm. So I was out to the world. So I'm, of course, now I'm sharing a locker room with these guys, and I don't know who has feelings about what. But these guys all knew me before I fully came out. So not everybody knew initially when they met me. Right. Um, and initially, it was met with a very warm reception. Like my my the favorite story I have of this that makes me laugh still to this day is um, Alexander Lee. Uh, just to make light of it, I had kind of got the guy's attention in the locker room, and I was like, listen, I don't know if everybody had seen Facebook, um, but I wanted to make an announcement, uh, just, you know, so everyone knows, everyone realizes, there's nothing to be concerned about, uh, I'm black. Yep. And, like, as without missing a beat, he stood up and, like, flipped his chair over and walked out of the locker room. And we all had a solid laugh. It was good. I, I still to this day laugh about it. Um, but it was just because no one ca- like no one cared then. Right. Um, but as time went on, it like they they started treating like the gay jokes, like the black jokes. They kind of leaned in a little bit on them. And the way and I I take ownership for finding comfort in leaning into it, rather than resisting against it. Mm-hmm. Um. But over time, it just it got to become a lot, and I think that was one. Those were one of the things I let roll off my shoulders so much that, but like, it all built up somewhere. Mm-hmm. So when everything started happening with Black Lives Matter and speaking out, my experiences started flooding to the surface. When I'm reading other people's stories, like I've been through something similar, mm-hmm. like not exactly that way, but I I thought of my experiences, and then one day I was like, "Fuck that! I need to say something too." Yeah. Um, now, when this was happening, did you tell anyone that you were being mistreated? There's lots of other words I want to use here, but I'm going to say, yeah. I'm going to stick with mistreated for the moment. I I have an issue with authority. Like I, I have a like I I have a thing where I'm like intimidated by authority. Like it's like I used to call it a you know, fear the cops for no reason, but apparently, you know, my subconscious is a lot stronger right. than my conscious sometimes because now I know why I should fear the police. Mm-hmm. Um, even if I'm just driving down the street, you know. Uh, so I know damn well about that. And... It's because you're gay. Right, exactly. Girl. Um, Eric was in charge and... I never, Eric, I don't, I never, like, it's going to sound weird and it's going to sound shady, but I don't really mean it to. Like, I didn't really consider Eric a, a friend that I talked to regularly until I moved to Bangor. Um, like, I did before. We, we would talk here and there. We were always friendly with each other. I worked for him. Right. But, like, the month in between shows, I barely ever spoke to him. Mm-hmm. So I was, and, but I'm like, what is he, my one, once a month friend? Like, I talked to everybody else, but, and then mm-hmm. Eric wasn't really on the social media that much either. Right. Um, so up until I moved up to Bangor, I, 
had such like I didn't want to like make him mad. I didn't want to ask him questions. I was just did what I was told. It was more an employee employer yeah. relationship and not a I I that familiar as friends. I had respect beaten to me by some veterans when I was an arrogant rookie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came back and just wanted to be respectful. I didn't want to rub anyone the wrong way. Um, I was happy with my run in IWE. Uh, there were a few, you know, just like few comments thrown out sometimes publicly that like everyone had a laugh at, but like I internalize as I don't want to be viewed that way. Like, um, one of my friends, uh, I was, I was down on my knees fixing something on the ring one day and Eric had said something like, Oh, look at Rick, you're down on his knees. How do you think he got the title? And everyone laughed. And I'm like, Ooh. I'm like, yo, like I, I really, I mean, I know you're joking, but I don't want people to think that that's how rumors get started. <laughs> right. Like, why would you tell people that? Like, yeah. and it makes me feel like I didn't get, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't earn worthy. it. Yeah. You weren't worthy. <clears throat> um, so there have been some very serious allegations against other local performers of sexual assault against minors and amongst other things. Um, I know that some of these stories have shocked you based upon, and based upon, you know, social media and all that stuff. But based on your experiences, do you think that sexual assault is pervasive in this industry or is it isolated to specific promotions? I think it's absolutely, uh, avoidable. Like it, it's about it's about knowing your roster um and uh, oh man i was so you know you're so fired up to get on here and spill the tea and then you get to that point where like even though it's you're spilling the tea on people that you consider you know you considered close brothers or family or whatever it hurts like of course and but but that shit went down and we hadn't. We, there was an instance um, surrounding the Skowhegan Fair shows when Eric was in charge um, that Eric was made aware of, mm-hmm. and he at that point decided to stop using that talent for IWE for it was for a while, mm-hmm. and I think I was back. <clears throat> nah, it was. I don't remember when we started doing the TV tapings. It was like. July or August of 2015, um, it was after the first set of Skowhegan Fair shows, Eric brought this performer back to the locker room. Now, no one knew why he was gone for a while, but Eric's like, finish out your dates, and that's it. Um, so, like, he, he he knew about it, but, like, gave the guy a chance to stop doing whatever. Mm-hmm. But according to the allegations, that that never ended. Um, that didn't end until way after that. So, like, when promoters know they have a predator amongst them and choose to like, I like it's like I say all the time: evil prevails when good men do nothing. And this is why people say all cops are bad cops. If there's if there's a bad cop on the force and you're a good cop and you know what the fucked up shit he's doing, and you don't report his ass, then that makes you a bad cop too. That's yeah. just my opinion. Um, you no one ha- you don't have to like it, like but like that this is that's this same image. Eric knew what he was dealing with, why he let this guy go, and brought him back amongst us anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I know people listening to this know who I'm talking about, and I'm sorry I'm not naming names, but that one hurts way more than I can even explain to any of you guys, and I'm just choosing to not not dwell on that right now because I don't think mentally I can. Um, it'll be something I have to process later at my on my own time. Now, do you think that this is <clears throat> widespread in the industry, or is it specific to this one promotion? It's what it's widespread. Um, na- I mean, name like when this started happening, um, names were just getting thrown out there left and right, um, and you don't and you don't want to victim shame anybody and say your story is not true. And that happened. That's happened. Yeah. I was accused of it. Um, the minor in question that I was that we were speaking about earlier was uh, using Facebook. As a lore for some of the other wrestlers. I know, I got a handful of guys I know that were speaking to this one 19-year-old girl, big wrestling fan, knew all about them. You know, she was the girl they never quite noticed at the shows or whatever. Um, she was intimately, and she and this is by her own admission, intimately and non-intimately speaking to these guys. As a 15 year, or 14, 15-year-old, or whatever she said she was, 15, 16-something... But what she don't realize is these guys have no idea, and just even though they have no idea, the way that this society works, all she would have ever had to do was say, yo, this guy uh, asked me for nude pictures, or he mm-hmm. sent me a picture of his dick, and, and their life is ruined right. for a trap that they were lured into. And yeah, um, so you got to be careful with like how people will twist things. Because there are guys out there who say, oh, no, I didn't I didn't sexually assault her. She she wanted it. She's just mad I didn't want a relationship. Like, that. that's what you hear, and, and sure. these guys are trying to defend themselves. Um, but we know around here, like, we know around here how it be. Mm-hmm. And you even got people speaking up that are like, yeah, I feel guilty for not saying anything, but I knew about it. But I was afraid to say something. Because the backlash of these people speaking out is outrageous the support is 10 times more Mm -hmm. but even the little bit of backlash you get uh i could it it easily discourages people from speaking up on something like this there's a new um i I just want to make one little shady comment on this before we move on um in this specific now i'm on the outside i'm just hearing about these things happening later you know but um, I learned the, a brand new definition of the word audacity, and I'm going to define that as in this specific instance with this specific minor and some one specific person, I just found the audacity of this individual sending thoughts and prayers in the care emoji when this man is one of the people that this person catfished. Yeah. Like, who... What, what, how... How... How fucked up is your brain that you're like, oh, thoughts and prayers. Oh. Like, you fucking did this to me. Yeah. So, I don't know. but the, the, and, and, and all the other guys that found out about some of them didn't know until I told them. Right. Until this all came out. They said, wait, that wasn't, that mm-hmm. was her, the teenager? Yeah. And even as a teenager, 16, 17, she started dating the former executive director of IWE. The man everyone loved and revered so freaking much that somehow he went from a face painting fan, he and his juggalo, and this isn't a shot at all juggalos, it's from my juggalos and juggalettes. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> whoop whoop. Um, the, the right Eminem there, is, that yeah. tells me you know way more about that culture than I want you to know. I have friends that I love the and I have no. It's no hate towards the Juggalos. I was just the quote I just did was this guy. <laughs> it was this internet guy. Um, his name's Superhuman. Yeah, I don't think you've seen him. It's this guy. Uh, he gets on a picnic table and he, some like the one I recently saw. He put like a refrigerator down, and he goes. And he'll dive onto these dangerous objects and lay there all fucked up after. And but like he he so he'll be like, this is for uh, this is superhuman. Uh, this is for all my juggalos and juggalettes. Don't try this at home and have a good day. Or I don't remember what he says. Something. It's the same thing every yeah. time. Then he takes his shirt off and he goes, fuck this shit. And then he dives onto whatever it is he's laid out right. there. Um. <laughs> okay. I don't even know how we veered onto that. I have no idea. I think it was something from the the question. I don't know. All right. Um. So, can you share with our listeners some examples of what you experienced in the locker room? I'm aware that you shared some of these, some of this story to your social media, but not all of our listeners may have seen your post. And I would, and and I, I realize some of this is triggering, and it is not something that you want to speak about, but. I think it's important. It is. It, I, I I agree. So can like, you give us some examples? I will say ahead of time, um, from this point forward, I'm I'm going to be perfectly blunt um, and not beat around the bush so much, I guess. Um, <laughs> all right. So, like, some of the things, it was just like, co- there'd be a lot of comments. Like, oh, whose dick did you suck to get this? Or... Uh, the own the newer owners of IWE like they'd shake hands with people and like while shaking their hand would use their other hand to like fondle your junk real quick like it happened to a lot of dudes what? like yeah that was like their little handshake and everyone would be oh get the fuck out of here but it would happen that's what they would do uh, for a while uh, I'm gay and I don't even like that right I, I know I'd jump back like yo hey I ain't been touching like three years at this point but I don't want you touch like you know what the fuck. Um, there were just, there was a, there was a while where people, uh, the owner bomb, like, had this, like, flirty personality about him, because his, uh, Sonny even called him out on it. Sonny, like, specifically ordered bomb to stop being flirty with me, because other people were, like, starting to think it was something. That's what Sonny was saying, and wow. then, like, bomb was just like, oh, I guess I gotta stop flirting with you. I'm like, okay. Mm. Um. That's creepy. Yeah, it, <laughs> Uh, bomb like and it wasn't even just it was other stuff I saw too and it goes beyond sexual um, like I think even Eric one time at that just he was shit hammered drunk um, he had just ended a relationship that meant a lot to him mm-hmm. uh, I had just moved I had only been in Bangor a few months uh, myself my roommate Neil and uh, our friend Danny all went down to check on him make sure he was alright, because he was down there. And we all went and gave him a group, you know, big group hug, like, hey, you doing alright, man? What's mm-hmm. up? And he was drunk and happy to see us. And one of us, I think Neil or somebody said, you know, you cut, you know, stop being drunk. Or whatever. They said whatever they said to Eric, and he's like, oh, well, that means I'm going to have to fire somebody. Guess I'll fire the ginger. Talking about Danny. Mm-hmm. And he go, and then Eric goes, oh, no, wait, he makes my posters. I'm going to fire the faggot instead. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like, and I want, I, 
gave him a pass because he was shit faced, but like mm-hmm. I never forgot that. Mm-hmm. Like to this day, um, you know, like the comments like Eric made about, oh, you know, how do you think he got the title? And I know I, I want to look back and say yes, these guys made these jokes in jest, and there are some jokes out like the gay jokes with friends that aren't malicious because I'm sitting there sometimes I joke around too. But it's more that's when you get down to, like, insinuating that sexual favors are being performed for position mm-hmm. um, or spot. Uh, where it really, you know what I mean? People start to think things about you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, the last thing I ever wanted to do was, like, be disrespectful to anybody and make anybody uncomfortable because I'm there. Like, I go out of my way in a locker room. If someone's changing... Even if they're taking their shirt off, taking their pants off, I'll turn the other way. I will find a reason not to look that direction until they're done doing what they need to do. They didn't ask me to do that. Right. But early in early on in my career, there was this guy, uh, a Tommy Mack. Racist, homophobic motherfucker. Actually, he lives in Laconia, I'm pretty sure. Um... He had said, like, he, like, I I think he thought I was looking at him while he was changing or whatever, and was just like, oh, you like what you see, faggot? And I was a new rookie kid, so I just kind of, like, cowered in the corner and closed my eyes, pretty much. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, uh, didn't, and then that, that's what made me self-conscious about it. I'm like, I'm not trying to, like, watch anybody change. This is where everyone changes, though. Right. Myself included. Mm-hmm. So I just, after a while, I just became... It didn't become so much looking away as I'm making sure that I'm keeping eye contact. Like, if I'm talking to my buddy who's, like, getting undressed while we're talking, I keep my eyes locked because I don't even want it insinuated that I'm back there having a good time. Um, mm-hmm. I've I've turned down, like, dates and potential relationships because people would instantly, like, they'd be like, oh, you like being in there with those hot, sweaty men. And I get I, I get why they're saying that. But when it comes to wrestling itself, I take wrestling very serious. Like right. I take it seriously enough that it's not. It doesn't do anything sexually for me to be in there. Like I've I've wrestled dudes I've that I've personally found incredibly attractive, but that goes away in the context of wrestling. Right. Like not once have I had any of them like pinning me where I laid there because I'm like, oh, this is sweet. I threw them off of me like I'd throw anyone off of me. Like that's it's. I didn't want being gay to define me in wrestling, but honestly, I feel like it has. In main wrestling, anyway, because I'm known for that sassy, like, don't come for me, bitch. Like, I used to be called the only diva allowed in the locker room at IWE by the uh, most recent management. Yeah. Um, I got guys like Mike Turner calling me the queen of drama, like, calling me a woman, like, you know what I mean? And... I really think that has to do with what because of being gay, right. things like that, and um, just it, it went beyond sexual to like the mental. There was mental abuse for sure. I've seen there's been physical abuse. Um, I've seen on um, these rookies, uh, and all by these guys who are supposed to run a company and give us a place to perform, they think that we, like, we owe them something. Because we showed up, we deserve to get treated like shit. We showed up, so they should yell at us while they're sitting there doing nothing. I mean, I've had, like, John the Bomb 
and Sonny Roselli have driven so many people away from IWE that once called that place home. Mm-hmm. And where I want to start, like where I want to start with that, like if I can tell the story real quick, of course, is where everything really started to go to shit, and that is when um, they had the idea to bring. We had brought back the main state posse and Alexander Lee. And everything was all everything was great. The fans were so happy. That made me happy because like, it was like a jolt that we needed as Bomb was dragging us down. Those guys were here to save the day. Mm-hmm. And um, wires got crossed when they also brought back a team named known as the Mutts. Uh, three got there. Three guys from Massachusetts and Connecticut. Um, love those boys. Uh, you know, R- Randy, Ian, and. Jose, uh, or Yusef, I should say. Um, so wires got crossed along the way, and tensions boiled over. And I, I honestly didn't even see how things sparked, but I knew within seconds I saw six dudes brawling amongst the fans, fans getting hit. People uh, jumping in the fight. A riot broke out at IWE. Sense. People were getting hurt. Like People are trying to usher the fans out away from the mess. People are trying to pull apart. Other wrestlers jumping in. Um, wow. I, it, I, it, I, I thought that was it, to be honest. I'm like, too many people have gotten hit or hurt. Um, kids are crying that are watching this happen. Um, this is this is a fucking disaster. Wow. And after that, um, the way that it was handled by management and addressed by management um, sparked a mass walkout in IWE. Um, I'm not going to sit here and list everybody, you right. know. Um, but there was a mass walkout. And that continued to grow the months following that event as more and more people were getting trashed uh, by IWE or buried or let go or pushed out or whatever. At that time, my goal was to turn IWE around Mm -hmm. because I I couldn't fathom the thought of it dying. Um... The guys that left worked, uh, they worked with uh, wrestling promoter Randy Carver, and they started another wrestling company where Limitless Wrestling was born. Okay. And... I have heard of Limitless. Yeah, Limitless is amazing. Like, I, I, I was at one of the first few shows, and Randy's, like, his, their YouTube has, like, millions of views, like, a million views. I saw the, some YouTube award at the dojo. Uh, for like a million viewers or something like that, or subscribers, uh, their videos get distributed. Like I, we were at Bull we were, Moose. I was just gonna say we yeah. were at Bull Moose and like holy shit! You're like, what's limitless? Thing? And I'm like, oh my god, I know these people who are for sale yeah. at Bull Moose. This is dope. Um, well, I, I like, are these the same people? Like, I, yeah, I got like to I'd sit. Heard of them, but I got to sit front row when they brought Cody Rhodes, um, to their show. Um, but also that night on their show, uh, Danger Kid and Aiden Agro of the Main State Posse, Danger Kid was my roommate at the time, I got to watch these guys perform front row live on a, like a huge stage, and I had just been training with them in a ring 
a year and a half, two years prior. Right. It was a surreal experience. I'm like, well, I'm sitting here watching these guys be stars, and they absolutely are. Um, I think at the time when everybody left IWE, I didn't really fully understand everything that was happening. Mm-hmm. Everyone who had left had been like, you know, fuck IWE. IWE should burn, you know, burned and buried to the ground. Yeah. And... I was taking it personally because from my perspective, I was doing my best to try and save everything, mm-hmm. but stuck in my own perspective, I didn't realize that Bomb and Sonny were being big shitbags to everybody. Uh, I I said this in my live video the other night on Facebook. Sonny drove one of the nicest people I know out of this wrestling business, and that was Zach, like my friend Zach. Uh, Zach and I worked a lot together in IWE. Um... He was one of those people I met, and we were, like, instant friends. And, like, I took him right under my wing, and I was like, I want you to be the next big guy. And that was what we were trying to build towards. Um, but towards the end, Zach was given opportunities other places. And Sonny is a very jealous guy, and anyone who went to wrestle elsewhere weren't allowed to wrestle for him. Or they were big pieces of shit. Or anywhere else running... Uh, was taking our talent and taking our competition. When they pushed Eric out of the business, uh, Bomb came in the locker room one time. Eric was outside. He DJed at the same place we wrestled at, at their bar. Awkward. He He gave, yeah, well, no. <laughs> Eric's, you know, he's a staple there. Like, you, right. he ain't gonna not come around just because yeah. IWE's there. He don't give a shit. And that's cool. You know, that's good. He, he knows he doesn't care about their bullshit. Right. Um... He was giving a T-shirt to some one of his friends that he owed him or whatever. He was just hooking him up with a shirt. Didn't didn't sell it to him. Was yeah. Hooking him up. And Bomb saw that. He came out back and like started slamming chairs off the ground and screaming at the top of his lungs how he used to be a blue chipper. And I'm gonna do. I'll do the impression for the guys listening because some of these guys love it. Like, I was a blue chipper! He's selling t-shirts in the parking lot! He's taking your merch money! Ah! And while he's doing this and everyone's just standing there with their mouths on, you know, wide open, like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. Sonny's not even raising his eyes up from his ticket book, writing out the, the front row tickets, like, Bomb, calm down. It's not worth it, Bomb. I just calm down. Fuck it. Like, no, I'm like... You guys have, like, you guys have such conflicting, mm. you guys are not clearly on the same page, because Bomb's very upset about what's happening, you're just like, man, I'm just gonna count my tickets over here, man. Oh my god. So, that was kind of thing, like, he even yelled, like, yelled at us, he goes, if any of you will are support him, you're fucked, and, uh, and, like, it was just, like, threats constantly, and talking shit about, like, make, I, after a while I felt like I had to choose between IWE and my friends. Yep. And I didn't want IWE to die, so I stuck with them, and that cost me friendships. And there's still scars there. Like some, some, you know, some has been mended with some people, and there's scars there for sure. But mm-hmm. um, some people not, and that's on me. And I've owned up to that, and I just gotta take responsibility with them. But these guys all left in a mass movement, and. I should have went with them, I really feel like, to be honest. Well, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, when you initially shared your story about a month ago, uh, what kind of feedback did you get? Uh, was the story of your experience met with support? The lo- a lot of support. Um, 
it was over. It was kind of shocking, overwhelming. Like I had posted it, walked away from for a little while, and came back to just like flooded inbox and flooded messages, and I hearing from people I never speak to or like I've never spoken to that they're like I really admire the things you, and you know people building me up who I've never talked to mm-hmm. um other wrestlers reaching out that I've never talked to to offer support um guys filing out of IWE one by one by one in support of me um the horror you know I speak a lot about him mm-hmm. on our podcast page our, our Facebook page Joe uh the horror Lewis like, he just straight up <laughs> redesigned the IWE belt, say fuck IWE, and you can have this piece of shit back, and I won't work for these scumbags, you know, and everyone was supporting me, but I'm like, I don't want everyone just to support me, support the concept that this shouldn't be happening to anybody. Right. Um, and I want to give mad props to companies like uh, Let's Wrestle, Limitless, and NAWA, for when they decide to return to action, they have a code of conduct in place for wrestlers and fans, and they're they're taking measures to make sure this doesn't happen to other people. Um, getting ladies to come up here to wrestle sometimes can be a challenge because we have a whole group of fans out there who are creeps, mm-hmm. like stalkerish level creeps, yeah. showing up at shows and bringing them presents, and we are friends, and I love you, friend, and. Always like they're always. Oh. Nope. Is that you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because the uh, sorry the sound on that ah! runs it runs through my computer. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So any I I pause, so we have the the stalker fans, the stalker fans, even creeper promoters like Mike Turner. Hmm. Um, and 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 not all of them are creeped on but it happens um but places like limitless and let's wrestle i don't seem to have issues with that like they always have plenty of female talent but you it is so hard to get the ladies to go anywhere else because of the reputation those places have right right um the other day there was a news story that broke in regards to congresswoman alexandria ocasio cortez of new york uh that i'd like to have your spin on um, did you hear any of this stuff? Why don't you bring me up to speed, just okay. just to be sure I got all my facts straight. So, um, apparently, there was um, there was a. I don't have a super lot of context, but I did watch an entire twelve minute video. Um, <laughs> that uh, the other day um, they were out in front of the Congress building, and he uh, the a. Uh, Representative Ted Yoho of Florida was there and uh, walked over to Ms. Cort- Ocasio-Cortez unprovoked and started hollering and screaming at her, calling her crazy and a horrible person and and basically like a piece of shit. Um, he didn't say that. But <laughs> then, um, and she's like, whatever, you're rude. Don't, don't speak to me like this. Oh, uh, you think I'm rude? You think I'm rude? Then immediately turns around, goes on live national television on some news outlet, and calls her on live air a fucking bitch. And so um, this, of course, gets some traction real quick. And the next day or the day after, um, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez was um, called upon in Congress to 
have some time to speak on this. And it's a, it's a very, very moving speech. I, I urge you to listen to the whole thing later, and I'll, I'll send you a link. And actually, I probably will put a link of it on, on the website. Yeah, good idea. Um, but it was about the language that, um, that specifically men use towards women, um, demoralizing, dehumanizing language, and that it's okay, <laughs> and that it's accepted as normal. Um, you are not a woman... Uh, but you are both a member of the LGB... Yeah. The LGBT, I'm sorry. Oh. Here. Here. Um, you're not a woman, but you are both a member of the LGBTQ community and a person of color. Mm-hmm. Um, granted that Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez is speaking as a woman and about woman, women in her response to particularly vile remarks made by Representative Ted Yoho of Florida... How do you feel about not just the pervasiveness of demoralizing and dehumanizing language by men and its acceptance as normal and okay? I mean, how do you... I know how I feel about it, but, like, you are a person... Like, you've had (coughs) remarks made at you as an LGBTQ individual and as a person of color that I may not have, you know, I don't have that same experience. Oh... Are you, do you mean like when it crosses over into both, or, or <clears throat> it really in, in any shape or fashion? I mean, th- this this specifically happened very publicly. Um, but I <clears throat> I grew up obviously during a time <laughs> like during a time where like calling someone a bitch was like calling them stupid. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it's just it, it's the word out there. And that's um, gay and stuff. Like that's that. gay and oh what a fag and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um. When they were just normalized words, and I've got friends even to this day that still say some of those some of those words, and I know that they try to be mindful when they're around me, um, but like it's it's built into our vocabulary. Like right. I've slipped and said it, <clears throat> calling up on some old, you know, old upbringing um, when I was trying to just blend in mm-hmm. with the other kids. Uh, <laughs> I think nowadays, like. The way, like, him speaking to her the way that he did, and she, uh, of course she's going to speak, you know what I mean? Like, people, people aren't taking any shit anymore. Like, she's going to, she's going to deliver an amazing speech after being called that, because, like, it shouldn't be acceptable anymore. Um, Men aren't in charge of women. Men shouldn't talk down to women. Men aren't superior to women. Um... Men can do their things. Men can do, I guess, uh, biologically that women can't do, and there's things women can do biologically that men can't do. Like there is a difference between the genders, but that doesn't mean one's weaker than the other. Right. They, I think, the genders complement each other, yeah. um, and that and that goes, you know, male, female, uh, non-binary. Uh, trans man, trans woman, it does like however you know, however it is, everyone deserves respect. Right. Um and not to be demeaned by any means. But I think like saying something like, Oh, she's a fucking bitch is something you would say to like I think is is a miso- like more misogynistic, I guess. Right. It feels more misogynistic when a guy like that turns around and that's his go to for what he calls her. I mean I've called other I've called other guys, oh you fucking bitch. Um I think with a different context, but I think in that tone he was being miso- like very misogynistic, and I don't think that's right at all. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Um, <clears throat> as a result of you and others sharing your experiences with IWE, the promotion has since closed. Um, I imagine that this was bittersweet, given the amount of blood, sweat, and tears that you put into the promotion on behalf of the owners, whichever owners they were. Mm -hmm. um, can you share some of your feelings on the closure? And did the closure of IWE actually give you a sense of closure on that chapter of your career? <clears throat> I know that's a lot. I can revisit no, no, part. That's okay. Um, <laughs> there's a lot there. Uh, if you if you don't mind grabbing me a drink, I'll start I'm into it. That right <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> um, IWE is always going to be. I feel like where where I came from. Um, I don't dismiss my PPW background. I think I needed to go through that chapter. I made lifelong friends out of it. I don't regret any of that. Um, but getting serious professional training and leaving a mark on this at least this state's wrestling scene. Um, was all I really wanted. Um, I didn't spread my wings and go a lot of other places. I went to great places like TIW down in Massachusetts. I got to wrestle at the Bell Time Club once in Massachusetts. It's a, fa it's a famous promotion down there run by Bo Douglas. Um, I got to, I've been to NAWA, uh, Crown of Maine up north. Like I've, so I've wrestled other places in the state. Um, I participated in another Massachusetts promotion once, uh, NCW's Summer Rumble, uh, Royal Rumble that they do. Um, but IWE is where I spent most of my time, and it's the place that means the most to me. And now that it's actually closed, I feel like this has been a long time coming. I feel like if I wouldn't have spent the last year pushing so hard to become a wrestling booker... Um, wasn't pushing so hard to help run things at IWE to make change and make it better, it would have fizzled out much sooner. Um, and that's not, and that's not trying to sound arrogant. Like my five or six of my like really good friends there said, if it, if it wasn't for me being there, keeping shit on, on the, on the uptake when it came to like story and something to follow, uh, they wouldn't have been there either. So... Me speaking out, my never, my intention wasn't to wasn't wasn't to force IWE to close its doors. It was to call accountability to the way that people are treated. I put myself through a lot of unnecessary mental stress working for these guys, and I'm I'm it talking wasn't just you. I mean, some it was not all self inflicted. No, but I'm just saying like. I would, and not just, there are a lot of other people doing the same thing, like making graphics uh, for free or not getting paid for making graphics or helping out with this and that and not getting like a little bonus. Mm -hmm. um, these guys thinking they can talk down to us because, you know, one of the kids messed up doing something and all of a sudden you got Bomb sitting on his fat ass over by the door yelling at, yeah, you stupid piece of I... One night, there was a there was a weekend I had left IWE. I didn't go to the previous month, but we had, uh, this was the first time this happened. And in that month, in between shows, I had talked to Bomb, and Bomb wanted me back, and we were gonna we were gonna work things out. So we were in Fairfield for a show. <clears throat> I was in the locker room. I wasn't on the show. 
Because um, Bomb said that Sonny and their other partner would have been upset if they if he had used me on the show. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll just hang out out back here in the locker room, even though you're struggling for talent. Right. With the, And then I'm seeing what they're writing for a show. I'm like, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of the guys liked it. And I had brought these, uh, a couple of my friends with me. Uh, their name's Noah and Taylor. They wanted to train in wrestling. They would get there and bust their ass to set up, bust their ass to tear down. I was their ride. Okay. So, at intermission, I decided I'm going to leave because this sucks. Like, this hurts that I just, I can't participate because someone might be upset. Right. So, I had to take the, they tried to find another ride, didn't have another ride home, so they had to leave with me. So, rather than yell at me, Bomb yelled at these two kids and told them never to fucking come back again because they're just here to watch a free show and they didn't do shit at setup and next time they'll have to buy a ticket and then the next night in Brewer, they tried to show up, and Sonny kicked him out. Hey, what are you doing here? Uh, you don't work here. Get the fuck out. Like, the, these kids. That escalated very quickly. Yeah. And all because he lost two people to help set up. So it was that. this is what it had become. Hmm. Everyone yelling at these Waterville trainee kids to get shit done faster. Then... Uh, the owner's coming up to me saying, why isn't this happening? Why isn't that happening? Why aren't the guys doing this? Why aren't the guys doing that? I'm like, oh, okay, so I need to go out there and be the floor manager, too. So, okay, so now I'm out here. I'm the asshole because I'm saying, hey, get the ring set up. Hey, do this. Oh, Ricker's being an asshole. Mm-hmm. Oh, we love Sonny and Mom. They're letting us wrestle, but fuck Ricker. He's an asshole. Right. I'm like, I'm doing what my, my bosses are asking me. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I've got respect for these guys ingrained into my head because of my upbringing. I, and that was my mistake. Uh, IWE needed to go a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, not long after Eric had sold it, it should have stopped. Uh, in my opinion, Bomb bought that company to make himself champion because in his actual career, he could never accomplish it. And I've been told the stories of the times he's come close but still, like, fucked it up for himself somehow. Mm-hmm. Self-sabotaged. Mm-hmm. And I think that's always eaten away at him. Sonny, anytime he's gotten his hands on a company, it, it's gone out of business or it's died or it's, something, it's gone under. He, he doesn't care. I don't think he cares about wrestling like he claims to. Mm-hmm. Um... <sighs> And it sucks because I want to, you know, in there, Sonny and I were friends. Like, we wasn't all about wrestling. We'd talk about life, too. He was very supportive. When I met you, he was very happy for me. Uh, when I was struggling with my credit, before I got my car, he tried his damnedest to get me one. And um, he's been there for me at, at times. And I'm not going to totally say that Sonny was always a jerk to me because he wasn't. But there were a lot of things he said and done to not just me, but, like, about my friends sitting there talk like he's hoping my friends lose money when they run their other shows and they're hoping someone gets hurt or someone does this or someone does that and we it was everything to get them to stop talking about it on facebook so i became the sponge i said if you're going to talk shit about any of these other people just message me talk shit to me about it and that's what happened and it became too much after a while and that's why i eventually walked away because they're letting any, they're letting just anybody up in that wrestling ring, um, 
guys like Lee Miller, Jason Gleitz, um, and other people who have no business, uh, roadblock even, like no business being in a pair of tights or anywhere near a ring until they get better. And I say, yes, I say roadblock, and there are people out there that are going to, I've gotten private messages saying I shouldn't say anything about him because he got in that mo- life-threatening motorcycle accident years ago and he never recovered correctly. Bullshit. That guy is train. That guy is training, and he does good in training. But it's at wrestling shows he overthinks himself and tries to think he's a big star, and and it it, it goes terribly every time. I'm sorry. Like I'm not sorry for that. Um, but it needed to go a long time ago. <clears throat> I didn't want my friends to not have anywhere to go. Like, my weekends with my boys, and it started off as, like, I lived in the big apartment at the time. Um, I lived with one of the other wrestlers from the show, and his girlfriend, and our friend, uh, our other roommate, and we had the place to put up, like, eight or nine people. Right. We had the room for it. Then the next apartment, I had a, I had, could only fit a few more, like, few less. And then the apartment I have now, I just had my core group of boys, you know, James, uh, Shaitan, Elite, Malik, um, and then uh, other people sprinkled in that like didn't even stay there all the time, but like guys like Primer, Kenny Grover, uh, Billy Vox, uh, he was one of the friends that got chased out of IWE, uh, Rob Marsh, another friend, not chased out, but like conditions were bad enough to warrant and justify them leaving. Right. And... That was a hard pill to swallow to watch all my friends one by one by one walk out that door. It was like being on a, it was like being on a reality TV show and watching your alliance get eliminated one by one by one. Um, it sucked. Uh, I, I and it, and it ranged from so much ridiculousness. They had us wrestling in what we called the micro machine ring. It was a 12, 12 foot ring. And if you're listening to that, I try to imagine, like, if you know myself and you know Eric Johnson, we could each be standing in a corner of this ring and leaning forward just a little bit could probably high-five each other. There's no there's no room. It's not safe. But they ensured us it was a good bump, and it was better than the broken ring that we were wrestling on known as Big Bertha, um, the stiffest ring in New England. <laughs> um, and... IWE used to be great. It used to be the place that guys would flock to from New York, Canada, Massachusetts, and they'd have the main wrestlers mixed in there, and you had to compete for a spot. Like, I, Eric had used me three or four months in a row on his shows, and then that fifth month, he's like, listen, I'm overbooked for this show. I don't have anything for you, but, you know, you're here to help out. That'll go a long way in the future. And I understood. Right. Like, I knew my place. <clears throat> If I didn't book any, like, all the kids who showed up at the show, even if they sucked, they'd cry about it. And then go whine to bomb, and then it was like, find a spot for this guy. And I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm. I tried tried my best, and I just was met with resistance by other wrestlers. Um, In particular, a very shitty one named Ricky Williams, who's a big piece of shit, big piece of shit. Um... He, I call him Mr. Steal Your Girl. Um, girlfriends all over the place. Stole my one of my best friend's wives back. They used to date. It was a whole thing. 
But him being around, like, straight up, he would, he'd also, like, try to be that locker room leader, but everyone knew how much of a piece of shit he was, <laughs> so they just tolerated him, and the owners kept him around because he was the one providing us belts to use for our company because they won't buy their own. Malik started buying belts for IWE because he cared that much. Mm-hmm. That was a that that place was a good place for Malik. Like he grew a lot there, and it's not the only place he wrestles, but he grew a lot there, and he became one of my close friends and friends with all the other boys. Like he's he was IWE to me, but now it's gone. Right, and not only is um, you know, not only is Malik he has passion for for it, but. I did notice in some photos on his social media, he's super passionate about accessories. He's got lots of belts. The girl knows how to work. Yes. So shout out to Malik for that. Yes. And I love the display cases too. That's that's that's, that's yeah. Fucking, I, sh- that's I showed fucking dope. I showed him the display case of all the championship belts. I'm like, get ready because this. Yeah. I started. I got my United States title on layaway. Where I have, I already have a couple of uh, nice, pretty <laughs> cur- corner curio cabinets for the. For the, belt, out for, for the, the new belts. place, yeah. We're getting the Attitude Era Intercontinental yep. title, North American NXT title. We're yes. getting all of them. Um, I am very sad IWE closed. It launched a lot of careers out of this state. Mm-hmm. It fell into the wrong hands. I honestly think things would be way different if Eric never sold IWE. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand why Eric did. He explained that to me. I accept that. It just... It was too much and not enough people cared. Right. And it was one of the things that we took for granted until it was gone. Mm-hmm. But out of that... Came the birth of all these other places. Right. And that was because no one wanted to wrestle for Sonny and Bomb, but no one had the balls to just say that and not do it. And they were just still coming to IWE because it was a place to work. Mm-hmm. And me, t- me too, admittedly. And we should have put the end to that a long time ago because just anyone was showing up. Mm-hmm. And we would have great stories going, but then people would leave because their frustrations with management. Or people would leave because things weren't safe. And then they start bringing in random people to replace guys that have been there this whole time and not received an opportunity started bringing in their friends and putting them in the spotlight even though they'd be gone the next month. It was such an old boys club, as I say it, as I like to say, mm-hmm. that this younger generation of actually talented people, you know, Angel Cross, Elite Terrell, Malik, Jimmy Limits, um, just to name a few, and if I left anybody out, I apologize. I'm just using an example of a few. Um... Guys like that are going to get lost in the shuffle when you're bringing back irrelevant people to be your stars and pushing these guys to do stupid things. Oh, go wrestle the rookie. Go wrestle the trainee. What does that do for any of these guys? Nothing. Um, and that's what I was trying to change. I wanted one of those guys to rise up to be the one to take the belt from me. Like, obviously, in the story, it's like it's a, it's a big thing for me to have had that back. Mm-hmm like Thanos getting all the Infinity Stones, you know, like for those who get that reference. It was like that, oh, yeah, I know you know. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll work on that one. Um, but 
it, it was a big moment, and it had a lot of places to go that were going to help those guys be the top tier. Mm-hmm. So guys like me didn't feel forced to have to wrestle because there was no one else to fill that role. When yeah. I wanted to step back from wrestling because my body was hurt, like, Bomb gave me such a hard time about it because it didn't fit his narrative, what he was trying to do. Oh, I wanted you to do this and that. No, you're a son of a bitch for bailing so early. I had big plans for you, blah, blah, blah. Made me feel terrible about it. I kept wrestling to the point where I, I it just, it hurt to put my gear on. Mm-hmm. Eric made me stop, essentially. He talked to me and said, if you're, we are partners in our tag, our tag team of two large crew, we called it, um, was on a roll. And we were getting bookings here and getting bookings there and getting tag titles put on us in, like, Vermont. Um, and we were going other places, but I had to abruptly end it mm-hmm. after our show at PWT, uh, wrestling the Middlesex Express. Just a shout-out to those guys. Um, fantastic match, but I was going through the motions, and I feel like I was not performing to the level I could have because it, my body hurt. And eventually I said, enough, I'm not doing it anymore. Um, but I was forced back because we kept losing people. Um, I'm glad it's closed because of the sexual assault stuff that's happened with well-known talent from our company. Um, especially when you had a guy like the captain, Paul Bulins or whatever his name is. I'm not even going to call him captain anymore. I called him that out of respect. But Paul Bulins was hitting on a 6th grader. He's in his 50s. Sending her creepy texts. I hope you have a good day, beautiful. Oh, I can't wait to hug you. Your hugs are the best. She's in 6th grade at the time. Mm -hmm. This poor girl. She came to all our shows. Big loyal fan. Comes with her brother. Came with her family. Um, She stopped coming because of him. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he started the conditioning. Di- yeah, he was, he was grooming, conditioning grooming, her. Grooming, grooming, grooming. Yeah, um, she put a whole post up about it. He's disappeared from Facebook land. Um, I know he disappeared from my Facebook land. Mm-hmm. He's though. No, yeah, he's he's gone completely now. Since all this started, like you especially, but like I've been throwing blocks like I own Lego. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of scumbags out there, but there are also. A lot of good people. Oh, there are a lot of good people out there too. Um, who won't let this kind of thing happen anymore? And a lot of good places that after the lockdown, COVID, things that it will be worth supporting. IWE shouldn't be the memory of main wrestling that fans have. In places like MEW that are owned by Mike Turner are just another example of an, another IWE waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, because he doesn't... He's not a wrestling promoter. He's a guy that has some money in his pocket and is just booking a wrestling show because he feels like it. Making himself the star of all the posters and, like, his cross-armed sunglasses inside, T-shirt and jeans look that he has, being the owner who turns and unturns people multiple times a show because he's trying to do a big convoluted story. And he's a piece of shit. So, like, (laughs) you know, 
he recently ran that show where he's like, we're going to test for temperatures and make people wear masks and stuff. That None of that happened. That was a big old COVID fest waiting to happen. Like, I legitimately told myself, anybody that went to that show, please stay away from me for 14 days. Because mm-hmm. y'all just were wrestling each other and the fans are just all sitting there and no one was wearing masks and you're... Bu- and that's what got led to a big fight on Facebook the other day uh, with Eric. <laughs> because he got on my post talking shit about how they did everything correctly. And I was like, no, I'm shutting you down right now. Because you ain't never got a thing to say unless it's negative and you trying to talk down to somebody. Um, those kind of places, Eric will go to because they'll pay him hand over fist to go and make their crowd a little bigger. Because Eric can do that. He's well known throughout the state. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a little bit whorish. Um, but that's just my opinion. Um, but those places shouldn't exist. Places like Limitless, places like Let's Wrestle, um, absolutely. Like those, that is a great group of guys and gals who put on a show because they're passionate mm-hmm. about wrestling. Oh, yeah. They are passionate about delivering a product to the fans that they deserve. And what the fans were getting from IWE was not what they deserved. And I refused to see it for the longest time. And by the time I realized it, it was too late. And I just I tried to fix my mistake before leaving, and I couldn't. There was too much bullshit to overcome, and I couldn't do it anymore. <clears throat> um, and I kind of feel like you may have you partially answered this, but you know, obviously, COVID nineteen took away any possibility of a proper closure. But I, I know that you know, and I know you kind of shared a little bit of this on your on your social media around that time. But this is probably some more privileged information that I know that before COVID shut down life um you were planning to you were already planning to transition yourself out of a performer role anyway Mm -hmm. um but do you feel that like you got any closure any proper closure with iwe before it was taken out of everybody's hands uh no okay can you tell us a little bit about that um i abrupt i abruptly left just because of all the bullshit um and essentially went from when you know becoming the big four time, playing the four. I'm a four time champion deal, and being obnoxious and arrogant, it just ended. Yeah. And then the belt was on someone who initially didn't have anything to do with what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those guys thought that this would all smooth over, and in a couple months I'd be back, and everything would be back to normal. Mm-hmm. But then COVID ended things. Right. And then bringing these issues to light ended things. Mm-hmm. It really it resurrected and then re-ended. Yeah. Reanimated? And Reanimate, re- yeah, that, that reanimation <laughs> spell didn't work. Mm. Um, I wish it would have went differently. I wish I would have went out, like, as they say, on your back um, in a match. Like, had someone had someone beat me. And then me leave after that. Like, that's, yeah. that's how you go out. That's just that's how you say goodbye. 
Um, well, you still technically you still did retire as the four time as you retired with that belt. Yeah, I gave I gave it I gave it up. No one's ever, no one's beat me for it. You know what I mean? Like, um, I'm yeah. always trying to see the bright side of it. Yeah, no, you really, and that's not bad. <laughs> like, I'm not, like, I'll always have that. Like, no one actually beat me for it, and mm-hmm. I think we can justify my reason for leaving as valid at this point. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, in conversations that you and I have had over the past few months, you mentioned to me that with the closure of IWE you were retiring the persona that you used for the promotion after <clears throat> aftershock adam ricker and that any future involvement in the professional wrestling industry would be under your new professional name big ricker um can you tell us a little bit about how big ricker differs from aftershock um growing up my brother that's where i got the name my brother and i would call each other ricker mm-hmm. um and for a while, we had the same group of friends, and we'd all hang out together. Um, so he was Little Ricker, and I was Big Ricker. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what people used to call me growing up, where I'm from. Uh, and I just thought, I'm like, why have I never gone by that? Like, Eric created the name Aftershock. Um, originally, I was going to be called Adam Richter. Oh, oh, like... Uh, yeah, the Richter scale. Uh, yeah, yeah. Aftershock Adam Richter. Right. Um, but Eric had realized that I have the name Ricker tattooed on my arm, so he said, ah, you can be Adam Ricker. But Eric created the name Aftershock. I'll let you use your yeah. name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He created Aftershock, and um, I made it my own over the years, you know what I mean? Um, I think the personality of that character definitely developed uh when i was doing the mean nasty evil things and aligning myself with network stars who have emmys and <laughs> i think one of the coolest moments i'll share this one of the coolest moments uh, i worked with john I, that really confuses the oh john okay john alba was a, a newscaster oh, yeah yeah, yeah. The you know I, yeah, I told you about john yeah. alba i've seen him on many videos he managed me after really? I turned my back on Moxie and started realizing that my championship run was because I was the greatest that there was and no one was going to stop me. Um, The natural progression of the the corruption of being champion, Mm -hmm. where, yes, I'm going to defend this with honor, too. I am the I'm the man and you're going to do what I say. Um, Alba guided me along with his influence um, because we were on TV at the time he had say in IWE because of it running on the network. He was the liaison for the the, the, the network that ran that we ran. Right. Um, and he aligned with me because I was the star of the show, is what the premise was. Clearly. And uh, there we did, when I won the title for the third time, we did a very bougie, over-the-top, obnoxious-ass celebration ceremony put red and black balloons all through the ring, red and black streamers all over the ropes and in the corners. I put congratulations banners over all the IWE <laughs> banners. And um, That's fantastic. John Alba had won an Emmy while working in the news. So um, he brought it, and I got to take a picture of me holding up both my IWE championship and his Emmy. Is that where you were wearing the, the, the red, maroon yeah, button-up? Yeah, maroon I love button-up. that photo of you. With the belt looking up, I had my red contacts in. I was looking fly as fuck. But 
Um, yes, you were. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that was probably one of the greatest memories I've had. But uh, aftershock had always just become that troublesome, sassy kind of character, and just because like it's, I grew and it stayed in IWE. I don't want the history of IWE to follow me the way that it ended. And mm-hmm. when I started video game streaming, I switched to be. I was going to, instead of saying Aftershock Gaming, I was like, I'm just going to be Big Ricker. I'm getting rid of the name. And then I thought, if I continue to be involved in wrestling, that's who people are going to get. Because after, Aftershock was the muscle, but now that I'm not an active wrestler, I can still be the boss. And Big Ricker, think of it, I the way I kind of picture it in my head is uh, the kingpin from Marvel Comics, uh, Wilson Fisk. Big old, he's a big old standalone super villain, super strength. He can throw it down for sure. Uh, but he, all the bad guys work for him. <clears throat> and I just picture myself heading more that way. Where, like, I know I'm, we'll just say the queen bitch, my sassy self or whatever. And I have my henchmen, but if you get through the henchmen, you want a piece of Big Ricker, okay, I'll take this I'll take this jacket off, roll up my sleeves, and we'll fucking throw down. Like, that's that's the inspiration behind Big Ricker. Kind of like, oh, you don't want to fight me, but I'll fight, you know what I mean, but let's do this kind of thing. Have you ever seen the very classic, if not, we'll be watching it, it's going to throw it into our queue. Um, it's from the 70s, Car Wash, with Richard Pryor, um... And um, oh, I seen Car Wash. Okay, when you're explaining Big Ricker to me, I am seeing Richard Pryor's character in Car Wash, where he gets out of the limo with the Pointer Sisters, and he's got the big, you know, pimp yes. on. Yes, that's what I'm seeing. So you heard it here first. <laughs> you heard it here first. Can we get the Pointer Sisters? I, lo- I would love that. You know that one of the Pointer Sisters just passed away a couple weeks ago. Oh. I was very sad. So that's a no then. Uh, well, no, uh, it was the Pointer. It was the fourth Pointer sister that broke off and did her own thing. Okay. It wasn't part of the super famous group, but one of the original Pointer sisters is, is not with us anymore either. But we veered off topic. Um, so that, that that is definitely a, a, a difference from, from Aftershock. Now, what's next for Big Ricker? Do you foresee your return to the ring? If you decide not to return to the ring as a performer, what might the new incarnation of Big Ricker look like? And I think we just talked a little bit about that, the whole prior connection. That that's where it's at. Like I I would love to get into management, um, or even like commentary. Um I will never say never to not wrestling again. Like I there's definitely still an itch in there. Sure. Um I'm not I don't think I'm anywhere physically or mentally ready. For something like that, because it does take both, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm definitely going to be amping up my game streaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of that was the project I jumped to when I left wrestling pre, uh, isolation, um, pre COVID, was getting ready to start big big rigger gaming. Started on March first. It was the first yep. day I streamed. I went out, got my gaming computer, and. I'm so happy that you did that. It gives you a, it gives yeah. you a really nice creative outlet. And I've had a lot of fun doing it so far. And I've the last month, ever since uh, Memorial Day, I've really been on and off with it. 
Um, I lost my streaming partner and friend over some Black Lives Matter stuff. Um, missing, he was putting out wrong information, and I corrected him on it in an aggressive manner. And he needed a break from Big Ricker's honesty, which is lethal, apparently, <laughs> to some people. Okay, Rachel, you be on your break. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I want to get back. I really want to grow that. I got to find my my niche in the in it because I have had fun streaming things like Call of Duty or Fortnite. Um, I've been obsessed with that Dead by Daylight game, the one you watched me play mm-hmm. last weekend. Uh, the other day on my day off, I literally, from the time I woke up to the time I went to work, played that game. And I did not move off the couch, and I was content and happy just sitting there playing the game. It was after I did the live video and got all that shit off my oh, chest. Yeah. I, I described it like sitting there at peace. I'm like, I called a bunch of people out on their bullshit. I'm at, I feel at peace. I feel a little better now. Um, a lot of that Eric stuff I've been holding in for years. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's just the way it is, you know, and talking to those kid, that kid Jason for raping some girl and Lee for p- being a bully to 15 year olds and he's almost 30. No, he's over 30 now. Like, let's say he, he looks significantly younger than you. He, he's like late, early, late 20s, early 30s. I don't know exactly how I think old it's he is. That- the mustache with the five hairs. But he was he was younger. bullying a 15-year-old mm-hmm. online because the 15-year-old said that he wears a mask, and Lee went all Trump supporter. America, my president doesn't wear a mask, neither will I. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even going to get into that whole subject, but... Um, it's really funny with the my body, my choice shit happening from, from that end of the spectrum right now, but it's not okay for a woman to have my body, my choice with... That's reproductive wrong. rights. Yeah, that's wrong too. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah, as I was gonna say, I don't. That's been your political minute from Two Kings podcast. I'll, I'll throw my two cents in the hat too and say like I just don't understand how any man has the right to try and come up with the rules for what women do with their bodies. Yeah, I, I, um, I, yeah, I, have, I just don't get how they're part of the conversation. I have a whole series of classic Facebook posts of Do you own a vagina? No? Okay, then you have no say in women's reproductive Girl. rights. Oh, I, ran- I know. I said I rambled today. I had a lot of that to say, though. Um, I don't even remember half the stuff I said. I just well, went. Well, we'll definitely be hearing it in the morning. Um, <laughs> so I want to really deeply thank you for taking the time to tell your side of the story, Adam. As always in the case during a time of scandal and allegations, you're taking a big risk by speaking up and speaking out. And I and our listeners absolutely appreciate your bravery. Um, Thank you very much for playing a different role on the podcast this week. Um, It's very important to me that you have the opportunity to share your experiences. Next week, we're going to be back to our regular format. But in the meantime, we'd love to have you share in the conversation. Please like and subscribe and drop some comments and questions on our website and Facebook. We also have an email address for the podcast, which is twokingspodcast at mail.com. Again, that is twokingspodcast at M-A-I-L dot com. Just because we're gay doesn't mean it's going to be spelled the other way. If you prefer contacting us in that manner and you don't want it to be quite so public or whatever, because, you know, the whole thing of screenshots and receipts lately. But, you know, please feel free to send us an email if you don't feel comfortable reaching out on social media. Uh, We hope that you have a great rest of the weekend. I know that we will. Uh, And we are going to see you next week. Yes. Anything else that you'd like to say for our listeners today, babe? Um, You know, I have, I, 
<laughs> I, there's a lot I want to say. Um, uh, and this but, is your for- no, please, please go ahead. No, I mean, I, I just want to keep it simple. Um, I think it's important to weed out the pieces of shit from wrestling before it all comes back. Mm-hmm. Guys like Mike Turner who are eager to give everybody COVID because he wants to have a wrestling show so he can have some friends for ten min- you know, for a night, um, is pathetic. And the guys that are waiting to get back at it and doing things safely and taking you know, taking that kind of safety into mind is admirable. There's uh, companies that are doing those kind of things, and I I, re- I respect it. Um, but I think overall, what needs to happen in this new post-COVID wrestling era is we need to remember that we're brothers and sisters in this business, mm-hmm. and we can spend more time supporting and building each other up, and not worrying about which which companies are drawing. Whose fans are how many you know how many tickets were pre-sold or what is you know the venue charge or none like none of that should matter. We should get back to what we all started doing this for, and that's because we love professional wrestling and that how it makes us feel. And I've seen way too many people leave this business because it make wrestling's more trouble than it is fun, and that and that's really what I want to get back if. You know, I'm, I'm I've got some projects in the works. I'm not ready to. I can't divulge yet. Some people know, some people don't. Um, and I plan on seeking advice from the best and learning from the best um, examples that I have, and hopefully working with them direct, like directly, where I'm going to be uh, to grow positively and make this state the place that people want to flock to. Mm-hmm. Once again, even when I move here to New Hampshire, I want to be I want to be excited one you know that once or twice a month to travel up to Maine on a weekend and see my friends and wrestle and have and put on a hell of a show for the fans. And that's what they deserve. They shouldn't they shouldn't be getting a, a, a thrown together ring with people who don't give a damn about the quality of the show as long as they've sold their tickets and got their money. Um, and the last thing I'll say, and this is a direct shot at John the Bomb, don't fucking buy a wrestling company if you can't fucking afford a wrestling company. You you have to spend money to make money, and duct taping a wrestling ring that has seen many, many years of action, taping it back together and getting new straps and breaking it constantly and putting our lives at risk, fuck you straight up i'm just gonna leave it at that all right well with that uh we are gonna say have a wonderful weekend and we're gonna see you next saturday with um i believe it's uh, our q a yeah it's the episode we were supposed to do today but it was supposed to drop today no, no? i'm off the schedule no no, no. I'll, get, <laughs> I'll explain in a second but yeah next so next week we're going to be doing Q&A which is which was a regularly scheduled episode for next next week anyway oh. what, what happened with this week's episode or this week's planned episode was I'm a fucking idiot so um, we had we had um, recorded a an episode entitled the college experience and um, when I was trying to edit it, uh, the second half of the broadcast was lost to cyberspace. So, unfortunately, and, and it's the way that we 
I think our listeners by this point, this is episode number seven, um, our listeners know that we try to keep everything uh, fresh and we don't rehash anything. And there, there is no second takes with these podcasts. So what we talked about in the second half is not, you know, it, it's gone. It's, it's, it's out in the ether. But the first half, um, and I didn't want to, like, have an incomplete podcast and all this stuff started to kind of bubble to the surface, and that's when I, I approached Adam uh, for the the idea of um, giving an all-access pass to um, the story of Aftershock Adam Ricker, uh, because I really didn't believe that Adam was given enough of a platform to properly tell his story and it's and I'm 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 fascinated by everything that has to do with Adam anyway but and I know everybody else is but it was really it was really important to me to have Adam tell his story so um we have some little fun little bits from that from that surviving first half of the college experience that you may see in some way shape or form but not as a not as a podcast so that one was abandoned and uh here we are now but next week we're going to be talking about uh the two kings q a have a great weekend drive safe get your neighbor's cats spayed or neutered yikes (laughs) and take care of each other guys all right thank you very much for listening everyone bye bye -bye.